Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast of our Sunday services. We are currently studying through the book of 2 Thessalonians. Please open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians as we dive into our study this morning. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so we've been going through the book of Thessalonians, the first one and now the second one. And we're kind of at this point now in this second book, the second epistle, where it's kind of the, the pinnacle of what Paul wants to share with the Thessalonians. And if we remember uh, the church of, Thess- of uh, Thessalonica, is a very persecuted church, a church that's under, been undergoing mass persecution um, in many ways. And, and his letters have really been to encourage them in it, to keep them going, to spur them on, to, uh, to have them continue in the faith, even though in the midst of this persecution. But now, amongst that, there has been uh, some letters that have gone around that has been falsely signed by Paul and uh, people are saying that this is the, the last days and, and you've missed it and, and the day of the Lord is on you now. And, and just lies and, and deception uh, are being shared with the Thessalonians. And Paul is really trying to combat that now with this letter. So that's where we find ourselves in this uh, second chapter here uh, in Thessalonians. Is, is He's going to really lay out for the Thessalonians what is going on, what to expect, and... In the end, stand fast in what the Lord has called you to. Um, So I'm going to pray, and then we can hop right in. Father, I just thank you for this morning, Lord, and for your word. Uh, I just pray that our ears and our hearts would be open to receive what it is you have for us today, Lord. And um, would your words go forth, Uh, Father, just order my thoughts, and uh, may may you be glorified here in this place, Lord. And may we just take uh, from this small part of Scripture, Lord, just something big, Lord, just a nugget or whatever we could walk out of this place with and just know that you've met with us and, and that you uh, desire us just to continue on in, 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 in this walk with you, Lord, and, and to, to glorify you. So, Lord, we give this time in your hands. We look to you in this time. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read just a few of the verses here and then we'll start breaking it down. So it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as, it is, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for, the day, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition." who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So here we see two things that Paul wants to address with uh, the Thessalonians. One, uh, in regards of the coming of, of the Lord, and two, in the gathering together to him. We see that in, in, the, uh, in that first Verse there it says concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, and then he says we ask that you not soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter. So he wants to clarify to the Thessalonians 
what these lies are and this deception that, that has been uh, shared with them and, and really put it right so that they are not no longer deceived, but instead encouraged by the events that are to come. And really what he's going to do, break down here, and there's four... Matthew 24 says that no man knows the time or the hour of that of the coming of the Lord. Um, and that's true. But what Paul is sharing here is not the time of its, of its coming, but the processes that are going to take place and, and what needs to happen first, second, third, and fourth to see of the coming of the Lord. And that's what he's going to lay out here to kind of give them some, some ease and some understanding to what is actually going on in their life today. What is the persecution and what it is and what it isn't. So the first, he's going to lay it out in four ways, and we'll get to that. Um, but I'm just going to give you to them here so that when we get to them, I'll just start breaking them down. But the first one is the working of the mystery of the lawlessness. So really where they find themselves right now is, he's going to, is, is the first step. The second step is, is the taking out of the way of the restraining one, or the one who restrains. And that's the second step. And the third step is the manifestation of the lawless one. That's the third step. That's the third thing that's going to happen. And then the fourth thing that happens is the return of Christ or the day of the Lord. So he's going to, he's going to lay those out here. And uh, in the way in which he addresses it, he kind of hops around. But you have to listen to the way he's saying it. And then he, and he'll give you the order of it. And I'll kind of I'll, I'll break that down. This is a rather difficult text for me because... Uh, it, it deals with a lot of end, end time stuff, and for any, any Christian, it, it, well, I guess, at least for me personally, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that stuff, and especially if you read in Revelation and Daniel and all those things, uh, it takes time and, and a lot of effort and a lot of study to kind of really understand what's going on, but it can be understood. Um, so I'm going to explain to the depths of that I drew out in this study, but by no means is this exhaustive of what we could learn from this. Uh, this is kind of just a broad stroke. And then I encourage you all to go back and to read Revelation, to read Daniel, and to read the prophets and really understand what this end times is. <clears throat> but first off, he says there, um, which I want to point out in those first few verses, is he says... We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord had come. So he wants to address these four ways in which they have been deceived. Or, and for us, the four ways that we could be deceived as Christians today. That's mind, spirit, word, and letter. Word as in, I likened it as, as to speaking or teaching, and letter I likened it as to a book or a writing or of, of that nature. And then mind, obviously our mind, and then spirit, someone who comes in a spirit, not necessarily the Holy Spirit, and to be able to discern from the Holy Spirit and a spirit. <clears throat> so it begs the question, though, why would the enemy want to deceive us? Why would anyone want to deceive the Christian? And what, I, what it came down to simply for me is, is a, a Christian who is deceived is ineffective, uh, who doesn't understand the truth and isn't able to share the truth or is deceived by someone who's trying to twist the truth is then an ineffective Christian and unable to share the whole truth of God's word to the lost, to the lost and even to the brethren. Um, so 
why would this letter be sent around to the Thessalonians? It's to make them ineffective where they're at, uh, to make them ineffective in Thessalonia and to make them ineffective to sharing the truth of God's word um, to the lost world. So first he starts off with mind. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, I liken that verse to this because, you know, there's our mind and our heart, but really what dictates our thought process and our mind and our thinking is really our heart. Um, If our heart is on the Lord, if it's on Jesus Christ, then our thought process will be on Him and on things of Him. Uh, If our heart is set in the world and on worldly things and, and on and on, uh, you know, things that are lead us towards destruction, our mind will, will follow. It will, it will be on those things as well. Uh, so to have a deceived heart is to then have a deceived mind, and that mind can then play tricks on us. Our, our, our mind can, also, can be our greatest asset, but it could be also our greatest destruction um, because we can get trapped in a stinking way of thinking or, um, or even twisting the truths that we get from God's word and, and trying to mold it. I'm, I'm, I'm a processor. You know, I, my wife, when we discuss things, she likes to process out loud in the midst of this conversation. We're talking, and, and now she's processing, and, and I'm trying to process with her and follow along. Um, but when I come into a conversation, I've already processed for a week and a half before I've come uh, to this conversation. Uh, that's just who I am. That's how the Lord's made me. I, uh, but in the midst of that, it could be a, it could be good because I could order my thoughts and get them centered on the Lord, and then come into this conversation. But it could also be bad because if it's my mind isn't on the Lord, if it isn't on those things, then I've just spent a week and a half in my mind in lies and scripts and uh, deception, and now I'm coming into a conversation completely deceived. Um, so it could be good, it could be bad, but it starts in our heart. And Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own uh, desire. He rages against all wise judgment. And now I liken that to the mind because now you've got someone who's trapped in their mind uh, in lies and scripts and all those things, but now he goes to isolate himself. So the battle starts in our minds, but it's lost in isolation. Uh, we start the battle in our mind, but the one who separates himself from fellowship, who separates himself even from fellowship with the Lord in that time and isolates himself from the Lord or from, from fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, really is on his way towards destruction. Um, because then there's no one there to help get him out of that mindset. Uh, so, first off, we can be deceived in mind. And uh, it's of our own doing and uh, it, it can be a dangerous uh, place, you know, without fellowship. And I just remember, I can remember early on in my, uh, when I got saved, I remember that I think at least, at least probably 10 times a day, I would, you know, re-accept Christ and, you know, Lord, you know, forgive me of all my sins. And, and just because... I, you know, I was a baby Christian and, and understanding, you know, in the Word, trying to understand it all and not fully understanding grace, not fully understanding forgiveness and all those things. And I could just remember in my own mind, I thought that I needed to rededicate myself at least 10 times a day to be right with Him, you know. Uh, but that's how the mind can deceive because I'm up here to tell you, you don't need to do that, you know. You, you, you confess the one time, you receive Him the one time. Now it's just a process of continuing to 
have a clean slate with him, as in, like, if things pop up, sins pop up, all those things, you just come to him and say, Lord, you know, forgive me for that. Don't, not, I need to be saved again, but forgive me for this place that I found myself, this thought, or whatnot. I don't need to uh, receive Christ, you know, ten times a day. Uh, so if anybody's struggling with that, and we can talk afterwards, and I can let you know at least how I got out of that. And really, the answer is just his word, understanding his grace, understanding uh, how he sees us, how he loves us, um, and what he's done for us, and the power of that work. And second is spirit. First John 4, 1 through 6 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So these spirits... Um, <laughs> I, I read, I've, I've heard of this, uh, this guy in Russia who claims to be Jesus, and there's this cult following after him. And, uh, and then, so I went to go investigate that, but then I found that there's at least five or six other men in this world that claim to be Jesus as, as well in other parts of the world, like Brazil and uh, in, uh, in India and, and all these places. But uh, we're to test those spirits. Um, and it's actually kind of comical because they claim to be Jesus and they come. And as we, as we read in here, you know, Jesus came the, the first time to reveal himself to us in the flesh and to, uh, to do the work of the cross to forgive us our sins. The second coming of Jesus is not that same way, but it's a way to deal with the unrighteousness of this world. And it's funny because these men claim to be the second coming of Jesus, and yet they're just doing the same things or, you know, trying to share the same things that he did the first coming. And it's, you ask them, did you read your Bible before you tried to go on this little um, spiel and gather these people because you're doing it wrong if this is your second coming. So it's testing those spirits. It's understanding the word of, of God and, it, and it's testing those and, and knowing that uh, any spirit, so if anybody comes to you with a word, you know, a word from the Lord, and they say this is a word from the Lord, you take that word and you back it up with his word, um, with the word of God. Because if it, it contradicts his word in any way, then it's not from him. Um, and, and that's how we can keep ourselves from being deceived by spirits. Um, I think early on in my walk, I, 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 was, uh, I, would, I attended a hyper-Pentecostal church up in northeast Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, I... I believe the, you know I believe these people love the Lord and, and they were all saved and don't get me wrong but the the way in which it was it was done was it would scare any one that didn't know what was going on um, and it had the potential to do that but luckily I had someone by my side that said you know here read this read this this is what's going on just you know have your eyes on the Lord and, and let's focus on the Lord here because they were, they really were genuinely you know, good people that love the Lord and all those things, but they were just, you know, swinging from the rafters and stuff. And it would, could scare, you know, some people. Um, and it was, it was ironic because if anybody knows me, that's not my personality. I'm not going to be the one that's dancing and singing up front. But it's what the Lord used to save me because I thought that that was 
really cool, like that these people were just kind of loose and free to love the Lord in that way. But anyway, to judge the spirits, I had to judge the spirits that were up there, where it's going on up there, um, because I was, there was this lady who did a Bible study, and she took the three of us guys that were, you know, going and joining her Bible study, and she was like, okay, I'm going to pray for you until you receive tongues. And so we were there for about, I want to say a half hour of her praying over us in tongues and, and all this, and and I'm looking at the guys, and we're just standing there kind of with our heads down, and like, yeah, we're praying, and I'm looking at them, and we're just like, what do we do? How do we get out of here? And they're all looking at me, and I'm just like, okay. So I just start speaking in tongues and saying this and saying that just to get out of the situation, honestly, because it was just very uncomfortable. Um, and then for a long time, I was, you know, just like, okay, do I have tongues? Do I not have tongues? And I was just deceived in that way, you know. So just taking it all back to the Word, you know. Uh, and, the, and God used, it, you know, used all that, uh, that time up there. Believe me, he, he did. He used it. It was a great time of, of learning of who He is and, and, and a time just away from the world and able to uh, seek the Lord in that way. But there was some things that were not right. And I got deceived in and then walked in for a little bit. But it wasn't as it was until I continued in my own studies of the word and my own understanding that I then started to pick apart the things that had happened early on in my in my walk with the Lord and I discerned what was of him and what wasn't of him. And didn't condemn the time, but understood that the time was used in every way in a sovereign way to just bring me to where I am today. <clears throat> So thirdly, first it was mind, then then he says spirit, and then thirdly is word. And I liken that to to false teachers. And I have this quote here. Bear with me. Um, It's from Joel Olstein. And it's comical. I don't know. I'm not, yeah, I'm not up here sharing Joel Olstein. I'm I'm up here, there's a quote that he says, and it's, uh, it's just interesting. And I can liken it to false teachers, so there you go. Uh, says, he says, I have Muslims that attend our church, and my books sell a lot in Muslim countries as well. You know, I don't know, I don't get too deep in those kinds of things, but our ministry is about reaching out to everybody. And so I do, and I do have those conversations. I had a whole group of probably about 50 Muslims here at the service about two weeks ago, sitting right in the front row. They came... And we, uh, and we have good, good relations. And I think, again, part of our ministry is, you know, how, main, how our main theme is Jesus says, love God with all your heart and, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I don't try to put people in a box, okay? They're Jew, they're, they are Jewish or they're Catholic. Uh, they are this or they are that. I just say, I know what? There's somebody that God that God's put in our path for us to love, and that's our philosophy. <clears throat> and over the first glance of reading that, you know, it sounds okay. You know, sounds sounds good. You know, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but really what struck me in those first few sentences is that he says he has Muslims in his church that attend, um, and, you know, there's 50 of them at his last attendance in his front row. Uh, and Luke twenty six twenty six says this, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Joel Osteen is a pastor of 40, 
of a 40,000-member church in, in, I think, Texas somewhere. Um, and to have Muslims be able to attend your church and to not be offended in any way or to not be convicted in any way is to, I need to look at your teaching and, and, and say, are you teaching Christ? You know, is this Jesus? Because there's no way that someone can attend, you know, or listen to the word of God and then not be convicted in the way of that Jesus is the way, he's the only way, unless you're sharing something else. Um, and if, for any of those that do know Joel Olstein, you know, it's very prosperity, gospel, health, and wealth, you know, um, your best life now type stuff. And, and, and that's really once, you know, the feel good stuff is what is, is shared. And that's why his book's selling in the world. Like, that's why it's selling in Muslim countries because people want to feel good. So on the outside of, of that comment of, you know, love God, love, love uh, your neighbor as yourself. To those that are not steeped in the word, that don't have a deep relationship with the Lord, that are seeking him every day, that are, that are desiring to understand more of who he is, to those that are just, you know, Wednesday, Sunday Christians or, uh, you know, not invested in the relationship with Jesus, it, that can greatly deceive someone because on the outside, it looks good. Like, it looked okay what he was saying, but not until you really can pick it apart and you know your word, and you have a relationship with the Lord, and you're in prayer with Him, or in communion with Him every day, with, fe- with fellowship, with those around us, then do we read that and say, no, something's wrong here. You have how many Muslims in your, in your... And not to say that we're not to go and reach out to the Muslims, but if they can come to your church and be comfortable still being a Muslim, there's an issue. Um, uh, there's just... It's an issue, period. <laughs> uh, so, you know... The word, false teachers. We need to um, be in our words daily and, and be in communion with him in prayer. Uh, and to really in, in, invest in understanding who Jesus is by reading our word and being in it. To then be able to discern from these uh, false teachers. And the last one is uh, letter. <laughs> And I liken that unto like books or you know extra biblical writings and things like that. Uh, we have to be careful with those as well. Um, again, early on in my uh, Christianity, <clears throat> I was given a book called uh, the Gospel of Thomas, and uh, you know I started reading it. And for those that don't know what it is. It was a uh, part of a collection of writings that were found in uh, Nag Hammadi, uh, Egypt, in about 1945. And what these writings were, at least this one specifically, was uh, writings that were attributed to uh, Jesus of, of things that he would say. So half of it was kind of what Jesus was saying, and then the other half was Gnostic tradition. And those that don't know what Gnosticism is, it's... Uh, it's basically um, a gaining of spirituality through knowledge, through experiential knowledge. Um, if you really want to look it up and, and read it, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, but at least one thing they said that there's a trapping of divine spark and it's in man. And then the only way for it to release it is through knowledge, is through this gnosis, which is knowledge. And so I was reading this book, right? Uh, and, you know... Taking it as, you know, 
that the Lord would have me read this book and taken it as the word of God. I mean, it said gospel in the name and it said Thomas. I was like, how can this not be, you know, okay, it's the gospel of Thomas. It just didn't happen to make it here, but it's, you know, it's, it's good. Uh, anyway, uh, so greatly deceived in that, in that process because uh, it was a very wordy, very heady book. And I just thought like, okay, I need to really understand these big words and all this stuff. And then I'm going to get super spiritual and all that. But John uh, seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify uh, them by the truth. Your word is truth. Um, so in that simple statement, his word, the Bible, is truth. And that's what I'm to uh, bounce every other reading, any other extra biblical reading off of is, again, the word of God. And does it contradict or is it lined up with what he said in this book? Uh, the Bible is God's word. So all that to say, you know, there's a lot of, you know, good books out there that we could read. But you got to make sure that they're referencing the Bible, that then those references that they are referencing in the Bible, you then go to your Bible and you read them for yourself and you put, see the context in which they're sharing it. You know, it's, it's it, this relationship with the Lord. It's a desire to know him more and it's a desire to understand who he is in our lives. And through that, you know, there's we can study you know, the Bible and we can study, you know, what other men have are sharing about it, but then also taking it back and taking it back to the word. Uh, And that's how we can really defend ourselves against being deceived by, by our minds, by uh, spirits, by words and by letters. We, we defend ourselves from that deception by being in his word, by being in relationship with him daily in prayer and in fellowship. And Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And that's exactly it. How do we keep from being deceived? The apostles' doctrine, you know, the word of God here. uh, Fellowship, fellowship with one another. uh, The breaking of bread and prayer. And that fellowship, though... Because it's interesting, he says, And fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. The fellowship isn't Wednesday, Sunday. You know, if Wednesday, Sunday is good. You know, we come Wednesday, Sunday. Uh, someone stands up here, shares from the Word of God. We hear from God. We say our hellos. We have some coffee. We have some donuts. And then we go off on the rest of our day. But that fellowship is really being in fellowship with each other. Not just Wednesday, Sunday, but Monday through Sunday, and then when Monday comes again, you're still in that fellowship, and it's Monday, Sunday. It's all week long we're to be in fellowship with like-minded believers. Uh, in the breaking of bread, in, in coming together, you know, sharing meals, and, and in prayer. Uh, you know, calling up, and it's not, maybe not necessarily being, you know, next to them, but maybe calling up a, a brother in the Lord that's a few states away. And, you know, Lord, it popped in your head that this, you know, oh, I just thought of so-and-so, let me give him a call. And then you guys can talk and, and, and pray together and, and encourage one another. It's being in fellowship with like-minded believers. It helps to defend us against deception because as, as we surround us with others who are seeking the word and seeking after God, they can keep us, help keep us on that narrow path. And uh, Hebrews ten twenty four through 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not for... Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much 
the more as you see the day approaching. So again, not forsaking coming together and encouraging one another. Not, not forsaking uh, the assembling together to then stir up love and good works. To stir and spur us on to the good work that the Lord has for us. Um, and to encourage us in the times where we're down. In the times where, uh, where we don't know what's going on. the times of persecution. You know, the brothers and sisters come alongside to encourage us and to redirect our eyes on the Lord. So how do we not be deceived the Word of God, fellowship, and prayer. And, and I say that, and the, and the answer, it, it, it's simple. You know, uh, the difficulty comes in the application to it in our lives. In the, for the guy who, you know, doesn't necessarily love the big functions and the gathering together and the parties and, and the social aspect of it, you know, fellowship is a difficult thing for me. I, it's not difficult for me to find myself... Desiring to study the word and understand who he is through his word and, and, and in prayer. The difficulty for me is finding myself in fellowship with other like-minded believers. Because, you know, I am comfortable with just, you know, me, my wife, and Judah. Uh, not that I don't love you guys, but I'm not the one that wants to be at the party and go, Hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? You know, I think the hardest time for me at church is that time after that first worship song. And they say, Hey... <laughs> You know, greet one another. I'm like, oh man, well, that's when it's the hardest part for me. Even harder than standing up here, which is, you know, saying something because this is hard too. <laughs> um, but to then extend ourselves in that way, to to push ourselves to the things that are that are difficult, to to die to those, to those, um, die to that old man. You know, the old man is 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 me isolating myself and doing my own thing and not caring about other people. You know, the new man says fellowship, fellowship with those that are around. Ask the question, see how they're doing, have a meaningful conversation with someone. So that's how we do it. It's simple, it's not easy, but um, it's necessary. Uh, and the way we do it is just one step at a time, just one step at a time. You, I go up to one person, you know, on Wednesday and say, hey, how you doing? And then I can say, Lord, I did it. I asked how the weather was, or I said, hey, the weather's cold, and it was good. Uh, and then you grow from there. <clears throat> uh, so those are really the four things that Paul is telling the Thessalonians, hey, don't be deceived in these way. And this is how we are. Can be deceived, but we also have uh, his word and fellowship and all those things to be able to combat that deception. <clears throat> so continuing on. Uh, so they were deceived. What Paul's going to jump into here next is, is, is they were deceived in when the day of the Lord was coming. Um, and they were, basically that letter said in, in so many words, you know, not that I know what the letter said, but in the way in what Paul describes here, I can only kind of gather what they were deceived in. And what they were deceived in is, Someone was saying that, hey, the day of the Lord is here and you've missed it, basically. Like, this persecution, what you're going through, like, you missed it. So, sorry, you know, and just kind of discouraging them in that way. But Paul's going to come and, and give us, you know, the order of, of what's to come. Not when it's going to come, but the order of it so that we can, we can know exactly that, I mean, in the end, we're not going to be, when the day of the Lord comes, it's not wrath for us, but we're going to be taken away and with him and coming back with him. 
and encourage them in that way. Um, so I'm going to read uh, 3 to 12, and then we'll break that down. So it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the fall- falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at hand, or is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of, of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, that first, the first step there to this process of then the coming of the last, of, of the day of the Lord is what we see there in uh, it's the mystery of lawlessness. So it's what we see there in... Uh, where's that verse? So let no one deceive you by any means that the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first. Um, the man of sin is then revealed, the son of perdition. And what, he, what he's sharing is, is that it's going on, like the first step to this end times is what's going on now. This, this, this lawlessness... Um, that we find ourselves in. And 1 Timothy 3.1 says this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, dis- disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, uh, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Know, as uh, Jonas and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the, the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as, uh, as theirs was. So there's this, there's this time, and, and, and we find ourselves in it now, where there's just going to be this falling away um, from the things of the Lord. And, and, and if you just look, look at the world around us and, and where we find ourselves um, in Northwest uh, Montana, just right up the street, the the abortion claim that's going on. Um, just if you pay attention to the news at all, just the uh, 
ungodliness, the lawlessness of, of, of not only our nation but the world and, and what people deem as right or say is right or say is progressive but really is so regressive and um, destroying those, uh, destroying people's lives. Uh, and, and I've shared this with some people, but I, there's, there's really this thing going on now, and like, bear with me because it's really quite disturbing. Um, they call them drag kids. Um, and there are literally children, you know, from ages, you know, this one in particular was 11 years old, and his parents are encouraging him to be a drag queen and are saying that this is okay and saying that, you know, just be yourself. I want you to do what makes you happy. And uh, there was actually a clip from Good Morning America where this kid, this little boy, <clears throat> comes out dressed in a makeup and all these things and is prancing around in front of these adults doing this catwalk thing and they're clapping and smiling and cheering him on. And it's just, it's disturbing what we are, you know, as a society saying is okay and what is progressive and what is good. Uh, it's, it's twisted. And so it's going on now. And as it was going on, and then in Thessalonica, all these, all these things are going on. Uh, and First Timothy, 1, uh, First Timothy 4, 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to, <clears throat> to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So not only do we find ourselves in this lawless time, but even in, these, in, these, in this end time, there's going to be this great apostasy, this, this falling away from, from the things of, of the Lord, from the word of God, and they're going to be putting on these you know, these stipulations to God's word and these rules and these regulations, and there's going to be this falling away. So step one is this falling away and this lawless time that we find ourselves. So we're in the midst of it. We are in the end times. We are, the Lord is coming back soon, and that's where we find ourselves. But certain things need to happen before the day of the Lord comes, and that's what Paul is trying to say here, that it is, you are being persecuted right now. The world is on its way towards destruction. There is this ugliness, this sin, and all this stuff. And there are those that are falling away from the, from the faith, but there is steps to it. And these are the steps. And step two is uh, what we read in verse seven there. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at hand. Step one. Step two. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So... Who is that then who restrains? Who is Paul talking about? And who he's talking about there is the Holy Spirit. Uh, <laughs> and what does it mean to be taken out of the way? All I can all I can say is is rapture. That's what that's my understanding of this of this of this writing here is that it's not until the restraining force, as he's saying, is taken out of the way that then the lawless one will come, which is step three. So, and that restraining force is the Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit dwell on this earth? 
within us, right? Within man. Um, so when, he, when, when the Holy Spirit is taken out of, the, out of the way, where does he live? Within us. When we are taken out of the way, to, that is restraining this world from going downhill, you know, on a greased up sled. Uh, <clears throat> when we are taken out of the way, uh, then the lawless one can come because we are the only thing that is restraining this world from imploding in on itself right now. The Lord has tarried in such a way that, that we would be here to be able to share the, God, the word of God, to, 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 be a, to be a light, to save those that are lost, to express who Jesus is to this world so that they know that they have a, a choice and an opportunity to be saved and not have to go, go in this direction. So step two is the rapture of the, of the church. So he's saying right there, you know, if, if we read 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 9, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he has, he has expressed this to the Thessalonians already, and he also has expressed this to them just a chapter before. He says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed. To give us rest when he's revealed. Not to send us through this tribulation. Not to, to, to be in this time of, of, of destruction. But to give us rest. Uh, and, and, he does, and we're not destined for wrath. And we're not destined for wrath because his wrath was satisfied on the cross for those that believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, we're not going to go through this tribulation of, of, of experiencing God's wrath. Which was meant for the devil. And is not meant for us. But for those that don't believe we, they will partake in this wrath. <clears throat> so it's not for us. Step one, this lawless time that's here, this apostasy that's falling away. Step two, the taking away of his bride out of this, uh, out of this world and taking him back up to him. The restraining force is going to be taken out of the way so that then... What the Lord has said will happen, will happen. And that's, as we continue on here, the third thing is the man of sin. So as he says, For the mystery of the lost one is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So not only... So it's only after the restraining force is taken away that then the lawless one will be revealed. And who is this lawless nun? What is this lawless one? And if we read Revelation 13, I'm going to read it. It's really quite interesting. So 13 says this, Revelation 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? 
and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. If anyone has ears, let him hear. <clears throat> so, just to kind of explain this a little bit, by no means do I have a full understanding of it, but um, there is the beast, uh, and that beast is goes by many names. It's beast, antichrist, lawless one, son of perdition, all those things, same man, that's the beast that comes out of the out of the water. Then the dragon is the devil, the one who gives him the power, the authority to uh, uh, to do these these blasphemous you know healings and all these things. So dragon, devil, beast, lawless one, antichrist. And you see there, as Thessalonians uh, chapter two says, so that he sits. As God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he's going to come and deceive this world and do these things. And it says that one head was wounded and he was healed. So, you know, just as, you know, as Jesus was was on the cross and died and then rose again, he's going to do something in a like manner to then deceive the world to think, oh, this guy must be God. Um, and he's going to lead them away. And he's, it's going to be, you know, a prosperous time for a bit there because they're all going to, like, this world is going to be ogling after this guy because he has this ability to put peace on the world and to do this and to do that. And all for the purpose of destruction, though, because it's, it's only, you know, after that that he becomes, you know, and it is a man. It is a man. It, it, it's not an idea. It's not a... Uh, political party. It's not anything like that. It is a man. It does say that this is a man that's going to come. So that's number three. This man of sin, this lawless one, will be revealed, this son of perdition. But it's only after the taking away of the one that restrains. It's only after the rapture. So what he's telling the Thessalonians here is... Because of this process that needs to take place, you do not need to worry about being here in the Great Tribulation because you will be taken before that happens. And these are the processes. And then the fourth is the coming of the Lord. And verse 8 says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Uh, God's got a game plan here. Um, and we can be privy to it by, you know, reading Revelation, by reading Daniel, by reading these, these prophetic books and understand what his game plan is. Or uh, we cannot read those things and be blind to it and then be deceived in uh, what people would say. As the Thessalonians were deceived. Uh, so eighth is then the coming of the Lord in that time, the day of the Lord. And he's going to come and destroy this lawless one and destroy the devil and then our the millennial reign will happen and we will all uh, be with him and it will be a glorious sight. And that's what we look forward to. We don't, we're not looking forward to being a part of the tribulation, but we're looking a part, a part of being his new kingdom, new heaven, new earth, and heaven and Jesus and a perfect relationship with him. That's what 
through reading Revelation, through reading Daniel and all those things, should point us towards this hope that we have as Christians. But not only that, but this warning to the world that we need to share. Uh, early on in my, in, my, in my walk with the Lord, I was like, I just need the practical things of the word. I just need the, you know, help widows and orphans, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, love your neighbor as yourself and all this. I just need those things. Like, my life is a mess. I need those things that are going to help my life now. I don't need to read Revelation or Daniel all those things. It's too lofty and, and, and high-minded, and I won't understand. And it's just, you know, beasts and, and, uh, and dragons and how many heads, and he's a leopard and a bear. I don't, don't need that right now. Um, and that's how I thought. Uh, but the Lord really changed, changed my heart because those things are so important to my walk as a Christian today and to walk as a follower of Jesus because all those things point to why I would want to even do the practical things now. To understand heaven, to understand where I'm going, to understand this millennial reign, to understand the authority that Jesus has in this world, um, what's to come, why I would even want to share who Jesus is with this lost world is because this is what he says. It's, 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 it's for the unrighteous. It's for those that don't believe. This is going to happen to those that we know that don't know Jesus. It's all very important because it, it motivates. In the end, it motivates. It motivates us to share who he is um, and, and to greater understand who he is so that we can share him to this lost world. So that's why it's important. And... Um, for anyone that doesn't or hasn't read Revelation, I would say read it. Um, it's going to be difficult your first time through, and you're going to want to stop probably halfway through, uh, as I did the first time, and just say, I can't do this. Uh, but then I read it through, and I took along uh, Bible teachers with me. So I started listening on, to sermons on Revelation and all those things. And, and again, vet the person you're listening to if you don't know who to listen to on it. We have pastors here that can direct us in the right paths. Um, you don't want to listen to like Joel Olstein on the Revelation. He might not even teach it. I don't think he goes that far into the Bible. But, um, you know, make sure you're, you're just eat it up. Learn it. Understand what it is. What, understand God's game plan. He lays it out to us right here. The game plan is here. Uh, we just need to read it and, and commune with him and ask him to reveal it to us and to give us understanding so that then we can go be an effective player on his team. You know, on the football field, they have a game plan, they set a play, and then they run that play. If we don't know what the game plan is, if we don't know what the play is, then how are we going to be effective in that play? We're not going to be. Um, someone's going to be running off to the sideline, the other guy's going to be running backwards, and two guys are going to be running into themselves. Uh, it's just not going to work. Know the game plan. Um, it's set out in his word here. <clears throat> and then, i got to wrap it up here, I think. Yeah. Um, so, and again, verse 5, I just want to point out, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So these things, these, these things that I thought were high and lofty in the beginning of my walk, were what Paul was sharing with these Thessalonians when they came to believe. He, if we remember, uh, you know, it's, it's believed that Paul had only spent three weeks with the Thessalonians, and yet he found that, that explaining the day of the Lord, the end times, and all those things was very pivotal in their understanding of their walk with the Lord. Um, so again, it is very pivotal. Pivotal. Pivot. It's very important for our walk with the Lord. <laughs> so let's.
continue on because I just want to get to the the hope, you know, in the end here, which, which is verses 13 to the end. So he explains it all to them, and then he goes into an encouraging exhortation for them. He says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, or word and work. <clears throat> so he goes in there to then explain to them you know, that you are chosen. He's, uh, his exhortation to them is to stand fast in the midst of this persecution. Don't be deceived, but, but understand and, and really hold on to the things that we taught you in the beginning and walk in them. So he says, beloved by the Lord. First John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. We've got to understand the love that God has for us. Uh, it it it's far surpasses anything that we could understand as human beings. Um, and it was before we ever loved him. It's from the foundations. His love is for us is from the foundations of the world in creation. And so he's reminding them of the love of God. And then he's reminding them that, that they were in fact chosen by God. John fifteen sixteen says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you so he's reminding them that you didn't choose this. God chose you first. And that's the only way in which you now find yourselves in a relationship with him is because he chose you. Uh, for any of us that have ever played sports or have ever been to school and they lined you all up to, be, to uh, pick teams. And if you were ever that first one picked, you know how good that felt, right? To be the first one picked to see that, you know, I'm the one that everybody wants on the team. Well, we're God's first pick. All of us are God's first pick. He, 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 he chose us, and he says, I want you on my team. We're all his first pick. No one's picked last. We're all that desirable of God um, in that way. And he's saying, so God chose you as if he would have chosen you, the first one to be on his team. So he loves you. He's chosen you. And he's chosen you for, he goes into there to say, salvation. Now, salvation is threefold. Um, there's, you know, we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. So there's that threefold um, idea of salvation, which when you see the word salvation, it's, all, it's those three things. Um, and it's really interesting that he points out here, he says, he chose you for salvation through sanctification, because what he's really trying to express here, I believe, is the present salvation, the present sanctification. He says, you're going through these trials, you're going through these persecutions, but know that it's for this present saving, this, this, this making you more like him so that you can then be a light in the world where you're at. It's, it, so it, that, that sanctification process that we're going through is that present saving process, um, but then there will be a future saving which we will then gather us to him. Um, <clears throat> 
And then he goes on to explain how do we do this? How do we, you know, rest in his love and know that we're chosen and, and for salvation? And how do we get through the sanctification process? And it's by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Uh, by the Holy Spirit who now dwells with us as we've received Christ, um, he now makes his home in our hearts. Uh, and it's through that and through the belief in the truth, through the belief in his word, um, is how we are making our way through this sanctification process. And then, and then he goes on to say, um, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> how did we come to understand this? How did we come to this relationship? It's by the gospel. It's by the good news. He's saying that you guys came to this understanding. You guys came to even starting this relationship with the Lord because you heard the gospel from us. Um, so, what are we to do as 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 Christ's followers here now is to share the gospel um, to this lost world. So he says, you've heard the gospel, and it's for one thing and one thing only, um, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's to give him glory, but it's also to find ourselves where he finds himself. We are now to be co-heirs with Christ in heaven with him in a relationship, a perfect relationship with him. So he's encouraging them to stand fast in these things that they learned um, and then lastly here, 15 to 16, uh, Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I am lying in Zion, a stone, a testing stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He uh, who believes in it will not be uh, disturbed. So let us hold fast to Jesus. How do we stand fast? We hold fast to Jesus, the cornerstone. A cornerstone in a foundation in those times is the one where you start the building process on. Uh, it is, it has to, you know, it has to be structurally sound there or the whole building will collapse. So he's saying the most important part of this building, the most important part to your steadfast walk with uh, as a Christian is Jesus. So be centered on him. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or epistle. So stand fast, and we stand fast with Jesus. And then 16 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and give us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So Paul has just laid out, you know, thus far in this letter, He's been encouraging them. But now he's pushing them to Jesus. He says, I've shared with you what I can share with you. Now go to the Comforter. Um, go to Jesus and you know the Father. Go to them to be able to have this uh, laid a hold of in your heart. Um, you are to go to Jesus. Say, Paul's not saying, hey, come to me with any more questions or anything like that. He's pushing them to Jesus. And that's what we're to do. We, we stand fast on Jesus, and then we are to push those that are either faltering or... Uh, wavering, or in anything in that way, we are to push them to Jesus. Uh, so how do we not be deceived? Fellowship, the word of God, and prayer. Um, the whole gamut of the Bible is important to our walks with the Lord, to understanding the game plan that's going on in this uh, that's to take place. So Revelation's important. Daniel's important. All those, all this whole book is important because it, it 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 lays out to us God's plan for salvation of His creation. Uh, and then finally, the encouragement is to continue on in the Lord. 
Continue on in the things that you've learned from the beginning and that you're continuing to learn in your walk with the Lord. Continue on. Be steadfast in it. Always going back to the Lord. Always pushing uh, those that are around you to the Lord and always pushing yourself to the Lord because He's the only one that can comfort. He's the only one that can reveal. He's the only one that can, that can keep us from stumbling in this walk. Jesus is the only one. So I ask, you know, at the end there, you know, when I saw Paul just kind of encouraging the Thessalonians in his heart for those people, you know, it just begged the question to me, like, you know, because I want to be, you know, a good man. I want to be a good uh, father. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good employee. I want to be a good, all these things. I want to, you know, that's my desire. And how do I do that? How do I become, you know, a, a, a good father? How do I become a good husband? All those things, a good friend. I push those that are around me to Jesus. I push myself to Jesus. I understand who he is and the power that he has in my life to change me. And then I say, hey, you guys can have this too. I, I go to my wife and I go to my son and I, and I, show, them, I show them Jesus. And I push them to him. Um, so as Paul was directing the Thessalonians in this time of deception back to Jesus, putting their eyes on Jesus, that's what we're to do. Keep our eyes on the Lord in these times and know that the end times is here. You know, this lawless time that we're in is here. It's very real. Um, and as verse 10 said there, let me just read it really quick to kind of sum up this point. Verse 10 says, and, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's why we are to share who Jesus is because those that do not receive that love of the truth will not be saved. Those that do not receive Jesus will not be saved. And that's why it's so important for us to understand this and to know this because there is a choice to make. Do we choose to believe or we choose not to? If we choose not to, there is wrath allotted for those that choose not to. If we choose to believe in Jesus Christ and the work that he's done and the power that he has in my life, then our allotment is heaven, is perfect relationship with him, and it's not wrath. And... That's the encouragement. Let's go out there and share who Jesus is with this lost world, as we all can see how lost it is. But stand fast in him to be able to do so. Thank you for joining us for this study from the book of Second Thessalonians this morning. If you would like more information about Salem Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salemfellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.